Blog Talk Radio. talking sports and having fun doing. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, number to call 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show, blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. Send messages to the show on Twitter, at GoForGant. And while you're there on Twitter, at GoForGant, give me a follow Go for it, Kent. Great show lined up for you today. I expected to be joined by Hall of Famer Willie Rowe. We're going to get his take on all things Super Bowl 50. The aftermath of Super Bowl 50. Also, voiceover actress. You hear her voice each and every day on PTI. She does some work for Disney. You know, does video games, does movies, does it all. Did the 2010 NFL Draft. Voiceover extraordinaire Kat Cressida will be joining us. And also... Also, Unique Rides, which airs on Velocity. Will Castro will be joining us. He's going to talk to us about Unique Rides on Velocity. So great show lined up for you today. Willie Rofe will be joining us in the next few moments. Cat Crestwood at 805. And also, also, at 745, Will Castro will be joining us. But let's get right down to Super Bowl 50 and what we saw in Super Bowl 50. First and foremost, first. And foremost, I'm shocked. I was shocked by the outcome of that football game. Actually, you know what? My son told me that the Broncos were going to win 24-10. I thought he was crazy. I thought he was ridiculous. I thought he was insane. And, and so, at the end of the day, he wasn't crazy. At the end of the day, he wasn't insane. And at the end of the day, he wasn't ridiculous. Because what we saw was the Denver Broncos go out there and put a defensive clinic uh, on the Carolina Panthers. A defensive Beat down on the Carolina Panthers. I mean, Cam Newton was under duress, you know, throughout the course of that game. You know, Von Miller, you know, DeMarcus Ware, they played meet me at the quarterback against Tom Brady, and they pretty much did the same thing against Cam Newton. They did the same thing against Cam Newton, and they, they, you know, got tremendous pressure on Cam Newton. Cam Newton was under duress the whole football game, couldn't get comfortable, couldn't get set, and and at the end of the day, his lack of comfortability, his his lack of of, of setting up, uh, you know, he wasn't able to do any of those things. They they made him uncomfortable. They got after him. Seven sacks, including two and a half by Super Bowl MVP, Von Miller. I mean, they got after Cam. And Cam, it, it almost felt like and seemed like Cam didn't have much of a hope and much of a shot. You know, it, it, it was, you know, you, you look at it, it, it was a, just a tremendous performance by the Denver Broncos defense. And, and, and it goes down and it, and it goes to show you, no matter how offensive the NFL can be, you know, we, we could talk about offense, 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 and, you know, points, 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 and the new rules and all these other things. But at the end of the day, 
Seattle Seahawks proved it a couple years ago. And the Denver Broncos proved it last Sunday that defense still wins championships. A great defense beats a great offense. And that's what we saw. We saw a great defense beat a great Carolina offense, beat a Carolina offense that led the league in points. So that's what we saw. And, and you know, you've got to give a lot of credit to Wade Phillips, a lot of credit to Gary Kubiak, a lot of credit to Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware. You know, that, that defense got after him. They got after him. And, and, and so it was like, I, I didn't expect it. You know, I, I had the Panthers winning 31 to 14, and, and I was talking the, the final, you know, the, the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. I was trying to find ways, figure out ways that the Denver Broncos could win the game. I mean, I, I was trying to find scenarios that would, would, would allow the Broncos to win the game. And Here's the things I came up with. I said that they needed to turn that football team over. They needed to turn over the Carolina Panthers a couple times, at least two times. They turned them over three. And you look at the turnovers. Three turnovers by the the Carolina Panthers. And the first turnover, which was a fumble, which was a fumble, and the football went into the end zone, recovered by Malik Jackson, of the Denver Broncos for a touchdown. That that was the first fumble. And then the second one, but I mean, that was the first turnover, and that led to a touchdown. T.J. Ward got a pick, and then T.J. Ward got a fumble recovery late in that football game. That second one set up the Broncos. That third one, I should say, set up the Broncos' second touchdown. So the Broncos scored two touchdowns, one by the defense and, and a one – by uh, the the offense, but that off that touchdown was set up because of the defense and the uh, the fumble recovery by T.J. Ward, where Cam Newton seemingly had an opportunity to dive in and get the ball, but he kind of watched, and ultimately the ball went past him and ultimately scooped up by T.J. Ward. But the, the, those turnovers, the first one led to a defensive touchdown, the second one led to the offense cashing in on a short field. C.J. Anderson also said that the Denver Broncos had to get a de- had to have a decent running game, and you know what? Their running game wasn't bad. You know, C.J. Anderson ripped off a few uh, some decent runs, including a long of 34 yards. You know, he had 90 yards to end the game. He, he, they, he was solid. They ran the ball effectively. wasn't great, but it was effective. And also said. Peyton Manning needed to play a clean football game. Well, he didn't necessarily do that. He had a pick, and he also had a fumble. So he didn't play a clean football game. I also said he had to throw for about 250 yards. He didn't do that either. He he didn't do that either. He didn't even come close. And, And so if you really look at this football game, you know, I think one of the big turning points in that game was the the non catch catch by Jeremy Jeremy uh, Jeremy uh, I can't even Cotry Jericho Cotry I can't even remember this guy's name Jericho Cotry where seemingly 
that was a catch. I mean, and it, it never touched the ground. You know, initially it was called incomplete on the field, and you're thinking, okay, after watching the video replay, it's going to get overturned. It's going to be all good. And then didn't know, get overturned. It, it, the call stayed the same. And the call stayed the same. The call was not overturned. And ultimately, two plays later, backed up, you have the fumble recover, the fumble. You got Malik Jackson recovering in the end zone, and you got a, a Denver Bronco touchdown, and you got the Broncos up ten nothing at that point. It's a turning point in the football game. And again, I'm not saying that cost the Carolina Panthers this football game. I'm not saying that, but that was a huge call. And if that call goes the other way, the way of the Carolina Panthers, the way it should have went, Panthers would have been at the Bronco around the Bronco forty yard line. And, move, and, you know, moving, driving. And then the play calls become a little different. How you call it becomes a little different. And then the opportunity for that to happen, even if it were to happen, probably doesn't get scooped for a touchdown if anything the Broncos recover. And then based off the way the Carolina Panthers defense was playing and based off the way the Denver Broncos offense was playing, you would think that the Carolina Panthers would have a good opportunity to stop that Bronco team. They've done it, and they did it throughout the course of that football game. But if if, if you look at it in theory, if, if, if Cam Newton would have played a, a clean game, and, and, and if you can even argue if the Carolina Panthers just went completely conservative, you know, uh, the way the Denver Broncos did, the Denver Broncos play, played a conservative game. You know, they're, they're, they played a conservative game, and you understand why they played a conservative game, because their quarterback – Peyton Manning couldn't do much. One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and, you know, obviously he's not that anymore. And, you know, he's he's obviously on the other side of things. He, he's he's a guy probably, you know, that he, he probably should be retiring at the end of this year. I know he said he had to drink some Budweiser and everything and, and you know, get a, get a, you know drink a whole bunch of beer and, and figure out what he wants to do. Well, I hope, you know, in the process of him drinking that beer, that, you know, in the midst of drinking, he doesn't get, well, he doesn't get too drunk where he decides that he wants to come back and play football again. Because the reality is, he's done. Reality is, Peyton Manning should never step on a National Football League field. At least not as a player. He's done. And if he sticks around any longer, he's going to mess around and get himself hurt. He's going to get himself hurt. And so if I'm Peyton Manning, I'm hanging it up. You know, I'm doing what the, I'm taking a picture the, the way Marshawn Lynch took, and I'm putting it on any, you know, I'm putting it out there that I'm not coming back. I'm hanging it up. I'm done. And, and even if he doesn't hang him up, if you're the Denver Broncos, I, I think – if, if Peyton Manning said he wanted to come back, I don't think there's uh, there's any way you could take him back. I don't I don't think you would want to take him back. I mean, I will say this. You know, even though you know, and statistically, he was the worst quarterback to win a Super Bowl season wise. And you know, I, I'm just looking at his performance in the Super Bowl, and you know, it's funny. John Elway, uh, the executive you know, of the Denver Broncos, the president, you know, the the guy that put this football team together, and kudos to John Elway. Because you know what? He he, he figured out you had a bunch of offense. 
and they needed some defense. He figured that out. He fixed that. He, you know, he brought in a T.J. Ward. He brought in a DeMarcus Ware. He, so he made some additions to that defense, made that defense stronger, which in turn is the reason why they won this championship. It was the defense. He made that defense stronger. And he made that defense a, a, a Super Bowl caliber defense. And I've said that throughout the course of the season when I look at the Denver Broncos. I, I look at that offense, and I see a Super Bowl caliber. I mean, Super Bowl, I look at that defense, I should say. And I saw a Super Bowl caliber. I look at the offense, and I had a lot of questions. I, my questions were Peyton Manning, nine touchdowns, 17 interceptions in the regular season. My questions were Peyton Manning, who, you know, obviously wasn't the same quarterback that we all knew and loved. My question was Peyton Manning. Could he play a clean enough game where, you know, he can keep his team in, make enough plays here or there, get enough plays on the ground, and get some big-time plays from his defense, and ultimately be able to, to keep it going, ultimately be able to, to, to keep his team in the game. He is a game manager. He was the ultimate game manager, and he managed well against the Steelers, and he managed well against the Patriots, and, and I guess in theory he managed well, managed well enough, against the Carolina Panthers to win. You, you just saw Denver. You, you, as you watched the game, you sensed that two years ago, what they, they learned some things from what happened two years ago. You sensed that there was a lot of hunger with that Broncos football team. You sensed that they just wanted it just a little bit more. They wanted it a little bit more. And you can argue maybe Cam Newton not going diving for that, that fumble maybe epitomized that particular football game and the want and who wanted it more. It, it, we, we thought that this was about to become Cam Newton's league. We thought that we, we were ready to hand the keys over to the National Football League to Cam Newton. We thought that the National Football League was we were all going to be dabbing this week. We thought that there were going to be a, 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 a big parade in Carolina and everybody would be dabbing and laughing and, 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 you know, celebrating and having a good old time in Carolina. That's what we thought, most of us. But what we saw was a team who wanted it more in Denver, was a defense who wanted it more in Denver, and ultimately it showed – and ultimately the Denver Broncos are your champions of the 2015 NFL season and are the, the winners in Super Bowl 50. We're going to bring in a guy now, watch the game. He was in San Francisco last weekend for the game. He didn't go to the game, but he was in San Francisco enjoying the sights and sounds of Super Bowl 50. Let's bring him in now, Hall of Famer Willie Rose. Willie. Oh, how you doing today? How are you? Good. Super Bowl Fifty came. Super Bowl Fifty went. I mean, I, I'm, you know, a week later, I'm stunned by the outcome. I, I didn't expect it to go that way, but also I, I look at it, you know, great defense always beats a great offense more often than not, and, and so I, I look at it, and I guess I really shouldn't be surprised. Were you surprised by how that particular football game went? Okay. Um, I was surprised. 
because from what I'm hearing from some of the Broncos players, you, you know what? I, I didn't realize. Wow, why didn't it, why couldn't anybody slow Carolina down during the playoffs? I mean, from what I'm hearing, they made no adjustments, and and they were running the same stuff. And I don't understand why they ran through everybody in the playoffs, but the way, the way they would score points with everybody, I mean, I thought they would at least score 25, 30. And then we get shut out the way they did. And, uh, you know, I know I know they had uh, Tlaib on Olsen and were bracketing him, and uh, and uh, they did did the same thing to Gronkowski when they were in when they were in in in, in, uh, in, in Denver and when Gronkowski got got going left. But Olsen's the key to the offense. Yeah, yes, and and you know they like when they you start, said, they did a great. Go ahead. Well, Paul, when they start doing what they do to Olsen, did, did that, when Olsen gets going, it opens up the first of the field. So that tells you how 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 key the tight ends are to both these teams. But I didn't see any adjustments made by Carolina, and that's what I was disappointed about. And it seemed like in that second half they did try to do, I guess, a, you know, tried to do some more things in terms of protection. But that, I mean, that Bronco pass rush was huge. And, you know, they were blitzing. And, you know, Cam got out of the pocket a few times, but they did, a good, they did a good job of containing him in the pocket. He didn't do a lot of big things with his legs, so they controlled that part of it. And and more importantly, I mean, they got pressure and stayed in Cam Newton's face throughout the course of that game. And also, Cam Newton had ten overthrows in that game. I mean, you know that that's that's not good, obviously. And you know he he wasn't getting the ball to his receivers. Well, he had about five, he had about five drops too, Paul. It did, but he he was just he was off too. He was he had some he had some misfires as well. I mean, it just he didn't get the protection that he needed. I mean that was the, the, they did a great job. They did the same thing they did to Brady. What they what they did to Brady, they pretty much did to Cam Newton, and I didn't expect them to be able to do the same exact thing. I mean they got seven sacks against Cam Newton, so they were they were big time. And, and how about Von Miller? I mean you said he's probably the MVP of these playoffs the way he played. I mean he was huge against the Patriots, and then he came back two weeks later was even bigger against the Denver Broncos. I mean against the Carolina Panthers. Well, I, well, I, 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 I would argue Von Miller should have been defensive player of the year. I understand what J.J. Watts is doing, but J.J. Watts is doing it. If you want to look at that, he's doing it on a team that's not making the playoffs. So if you want to argue that, you know, you look at you got to look at the teams and how well the teams are playing. And I know I know Houston played better late, but I would argue that Von Miller was the best defensive player in that year. Or you could go, I would have said him or Keegley, which to me would have been defensive MVP. Oh, I mean – well, I guess if you look at the numbers, I mean, if you want to look at the sack numbers, obviously the sack numbers favor Watt more so than they favor uh, uh, favor of Von Miller. I mean, eleven. Well, yeah, but what, what about what about interceptions, strip tackles, strip strips? You know, hurries. You got to look at all of it, though. You could that's in facts. You got to look at all of it now, Paul. <laughs> so you, I look at JJ Watt, three forced fumbles, um, no picks, obviously this year, three forced fumbles. Seventeen and a half sacks. Let's look at uh, let's look at Von Miller real quick. You know, seventeen and a half sacks for JJ Watt, three forced fumbles, and we look at Von Miller. And you know, I will say this: if this award was maybe for the playoffs as well, then I think we could have an argument in terms of uh, Von Miller and what he did. But let's look at uh, Von Miller and what he did on the defensive side of the ball for the Denver Broncos. And he was, like I said, he was huge, huge in these playoffs. I mean, 11 sacks, 
four forced fumbles, um, no interceptions. Well, I mean, so it, it, it. Yeah, I see what you said. Well, he had, he had an interception in the playoffs. He had a huge he interception did. in the playoffs against the Patriots. He did. He did. Definitely. I mean, he, but, he but was big. Keegley missed four games for concussion or whatever, so that that kind of took him out of the race because he had great numbers, but he missed four games. So, I mean, but, I mean, I, at the end of the day, it doesn't take away from, you know, how great of a year Luke Keekley had and also how great of a year uh, Von Miller had and, and just a great playoff. I mean, he had a playoff to remember with the plays that he made. And then, the you know, the biggest play was that strip sack, which led to the touchdown there. I mean, and, and I, I said coming into this game, I said coming into this game, you know, the key was that, A, the Denver Broncos had to at least force two turnovers. They forced three. And two of those, one was a defensive touchdown, and the other led to a touchdown. So they forced three uh, turnovers. And that was huge. And and I think, if see, here's the funny thing. If the Carolina Panthers would have played a conservative football game, they might have won. I mean, if you think about it, because the Denver Broncos offense really did nothing. They didn't do the Broncos offense didn't do anything. And like you said, uh, if, if Peyton, the Broncos, no, no team has ever won a Super Bowl that was, what, one for 14 on third-down conversions? I don't even think I ever played on the foot in a football game where we won the game that we were one for 14 or 15 and won the game. I don't ever think that's happened. Paul? That I'm not sure, but I have to, I'll look. But, I mean, it's, it was it was a pathetic offensive performance by I would say both teams, but I would say more so the Denver Broncos than the the, the Carolina Panthers. Could could you did you ever? I, know, I will say this, Paul. Cam's a young kid; he's got to grow up. Everybody wanted uh, Peyton Manning and them to win that game. I could hear it; it was a little biased. I think some of the calls in the game were biased as you watched the game unfold. Uh, Carolina should have got it. I think that that play by Country was a catch, and they should have, he had to throw that ball. And if that ball finished a piece of it touched the ground, he had his hand underneath that ball. That should have been a catch. Uh, they had a questionable interference call. They didn't call going in the third quarter, and then they make the call that I don't think was for the pass interference call to get down ultimately to that last touchdown. I think that was right. Called in that game, I think that was a rough when 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 Wolf hit him late in the game. That was that was that was roughing the way he went down on top of him. I did release that ball. He took another two steps. That was should have been a roughing call. So you know when you when you when you want to get on the plane and you want to wear them pants, you know you're taking the focus away from the team and putting it on yourself. So you felt like those pants. You felt like the, the 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 pants and everything. You felt like that was kind of Cam, on some respect, trying to draw some more attention to himself. And we lost Willie Rofe. We'll try to get him back on in a few minutes. There was a lot made about those pants. I mean, I saw the pants, and you know that was the beginning of Super Bowl week. And you look at those pants, you're like, whoa, that's not something I will wear. But they're pretty expensive pants, and. 
they're pretty popular pants. I heard they went off the shelves. I mean, people, you know, you see one picture of them, people buying them left and right. You know, they they, they want those pants. They want to, they want to, you know, be like Cam, if you will. And and, and so everybody want to be like Cam and wear those pants and 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 you know look 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 just like Cam. <laughs> but I mean, at, at the end of the day, Cam, you know, put on his football pants and. When he put on his football pants, unfortunately, it, it wasn't enough, and it, unfortunately for him, it, it, he didn't. It didn't translate to the Denver Broncos, not the Denver Broncos, excuse me, the Carolina Panthers playing big time football. It didn't translate to the Carolina Panthers, you know, turning this, turning the football game around and making the plays necessary in order to win Super Bowl Fifty. And just you can. And here's the thing: we 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 talk about. Well, Cam will get back there. He's young, 26 years old. The Panthers seems like this will be camp. This is a learning experience for Cam. He's going to find his way back to the to the Super Bowl. Well, Dan Marino, what went his rookie year to the Super Bowl? Wasn't it? Well, rookie or second year went to the Super Bowl. And he never returned. We got Willie back on the line. Willie. Yeah, when did you lose me, Paul? Uh, I think I, I asked you. Do you do you feel like those pants? Was that Cam trying to draw some attention to himself, more attention to himself? Well, this is what I'm saying. When you when you do when you draw attention to yourself like that, Paul, you're putting the pressure on yourself and the team, and and all the showboating and all the dabbing and all the when they score, jumping up and doing the field goal, all that stuff. You know, you get the ball away to the kids. Okay, that's fine. But all the showboating and dabbing and all that crap, just like we remember, Paul, when LeBron came in the league. They were they had those good years in Cleveland, but they'd be over there faking, taking those pictures and doing all this yeah. stuff and showboating and doing all that. People talked about it. That LeBron needs to get more serious and he needs to stop doing all that uh, dancing and stuff on the sideline. The same thing. Kevin got some growing up to do. When you do all that jumping around and dancing and showboating and high side on the team, when you get beat, you gotta go and, and, and face the music. So, I mean, maybe he he's gotta grow up from this. He's the quarterback, he's the leader. It's about the team. It's not about you first. So when you wear the pants, you make it about you and then the team. You don't do that. It's about the team. If everybody's got on a suit, a sweatsuit, you wear what they wear. You don't go and wear those pants and everybody's already talking about everything that before you make it up there to the Super Bowl. We were talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofen, and, and you talk about Cam Newton. We talked about, you know, the dabbing and, and all the showboats and the first down signals and so on and so forth. And when you, like you said, when you do those things, it draws attention to yourself. And when you do those things, you you become a target on some level. And then when you do those things, I mean, you unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you you rub people sometimes the wrong way, and it comes with the territory when you showboat, when you celebrate, and when you do all those things. And, and you're right. And, and and we'll go to the Cam Newton press conference. To me, I get what Cam Newton was doing. I understand what Cam Newton was doing. I know why he did what he did. He just lost the biggest game of his life. But at the end of the day, he is the quarterback of the team. And, you know, he he, he wore those pants to to the game, those those ugly pants, I thought. But at the end of the day, when you lose a game like that, you got to put on your big boy pants and you got to say, you know what, you got to you got to face the music. You got to ask, ask answer the questions. It's your job, and, it, and it's a part. You know, you got to. No one likes to lose. But at the end of the day, you are a National Football League player, and at the end of the day, you have to talk to the media. It comes with the territory. Hopefully he'll learn 
moving forward. What are your thoughts on what you saw at that press conference? Well, I just, you know, he was upset, you know, and he didn't, obviously the team did not play as well as they should have. And, you know, that punt return, I don't understand what they were thinking about because he never fought. That punt return, I think, was a turning point in that game. When they when he took off running down there, they didn't tackle him when they bumped him, and they thought he made a fair catch. Uh, it was just a weird game, Paul. I just did not. I mean, it, 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 looked, it, looked like, it looked like a preseason game. You know, you know, it's a Super Bowl. It's supposed to be fine-tuned machines going at each other, and they look like it looked like a preseason game. Um, I, I, but Carolina off the line, I thought would play better. You know, and then the same thing happened against against um, New England. Von Miller was dominating early, and then late, Demarcus Ward took over and got a couple sacks late or or so. You know, he's got to be more mature. You know, like you said, if you want to showboat and do this and that and get all of everybody's face and do all these gestures, then you got to take the good with the bad. Kevin's a hell of an athlete. He's a physical specimen. He's like the boys of football as far as a specimen. There's nobody like him. But, you know, he's got to mature and grow up. He's got a lot more time to play football. They're going to put some more weapons around him. They're going to get some more linemen. So I think Kellogg's going to be sitting in a good position next year. You know, unless I don't think I don't know if New Orleans is going. I don't think they're going to be ascending. I, I see Temple Bay might be getting better next year, but um, they're going to be right there next year, and Seattle's going to be right there next year, and they're going to be those two teams are going to be competing again and see who's who's going to be the top spot. You know, and uh, Arizona I think needs to make some changes, but I think Seattle and uh, with with those two quarterbacks, Seattle and, and Carolina, aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Here's here's what I also will say. You know, we, we I think we can all make the, assume that Cam Newton, 26 years old, you know, seems to be ascending, seems to be a big time talent. Obviously, he is a big time talent, but we, we we there's no guarantees that he'll ever get back to the Super Bowl. We look at Dan Marino's rookie year, went to the Super Bowl, never returned. I, I, I'm saying I, I think he might get back, but you just never know in the National Football League. There's so much that can happen. It takes so much to get to the Super Bowl, and a lot of times you have to be fortunate, fortunate with injuries, fortunate with, with, you know, a bunch of different things. A bunch of different things have to shake out in order for you to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying he won't get back, but there's not necessarily a guarantee that he will get back. I mean, you know, there's so much that can happen in a National Football League season, so much that can happen. So there's no guarantee that he will get back. I think he will get back, though. And let me ask you this. Do you think next year he kind of cuts down on, on, on some of the dabbing, cuts down on maybe the first down signals, or is that just who Cam Newton is? I hope he cuts down on something. Uh, has LeBron has LeBron cut back on the celebrating now that he's gotten older? A little bit, Paul. Yeah, yes, he has. No, LeBron don't take them pictures on the sideline. You no, remember no, how they used to be down. cutting up on the sideline in Cleveland, Paul? They don't yeah. do all that. He doesn't do all that stuff no more. No, than no, he they, did they, when they, he first they, got to Cleveland. I'll give you that. Yeah, he definitely t- toned it down some. I mean, he's old, but he's older. So guess what he's doing right. when he gets to that sideline? He's resting. And and, and another, you know, it's the one thing I see about. If Cam was getting a little tired, because they, you know, the product, this is what they did to Cam. They made Cam, they, they, they couldn't run the ball. We, we're going to run, we're going to run this man to man. We Cam, Cam, they made Cam Newton have to do everything to beat him. And that's the, the problem. You can't be one dimensional on this. 
And if they couldn't run the ball, Cameron's going to have to do that read option. And, and I don't know what that offense has, but I don't think you have so many plays out of that offense, you know, out of that read option. So Cameron's going to have to pick perfectly to lose to, to Denver to win to lose the game. And Denver's defense knew that he wasn't going to be able to play a perfect game, and he and he still could have been in the ball game late if he had picked it up in the second half. But basically, all of it was on Cam. You want to be the center of attention? Well, it's all going to be on you to 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 get this offense going to win this game. And that's what Denver did: put the pressure on Cam to make the plays. And you, you, I also look at the game, and I, and the more I think about it as I watch the game, and I think about it now. It just seemed like the Broncos just wanted wanted it just a little bit more. I don't know. You just sensed they wanted it just a little more. You know, a little more. It was more a little more veterans on that football team. You know, guys who've been there two years ago against Seattle kind of knew what it takes to win a Super Bowl. You got the sense they learned from what happened in that particular Super Bowl. And they basically here's the thing: they basically did what the Seattle Seahawks did to them. It wasn't as much of a blowout. That's because Peyton Manning couldn't really do much. But they came out and they punched the Carolina Panthers in the mouth and kept punching them in the mouth and kept punching them in the mouth. And the Carolina Panthers really didn't have much of a response. You know, they they really did not have much of a response. So if you look at it, the Broncos But the Carolina Panthers defense kept punching them in the mouth too, Paul. Carolina Panthers defense kept punching them in the mouth. And I thought the Carolina offense – would eventually make some adjustments because all them drives, other than, other than that strip from a touchdown, everything they had was a field goal. That defense, right. even when they got the ball in the red zone one time, they only got a field goal. Even when they did a long prep return. So Carolina's defense did their job. It was just Carolina's offense never got anything going. And, and, and like you said, you had to drop one cartridge down the sideline, and then you had – the running back that got that fumble when they were going to the plus side of the football field. Over, yep. So outside of the drops and the fumbles, you know, uh, Carolina had a chance to win that game. When Carolina goes back and watch that film, they're going to be sick that the day they left out on the field because uh, Carolina defense played a hell of a football game too. It's only so long you're going to be able to hold a team down and keep them from scoring anything. And, and that's what happened. The damn finally broke on, on Carolina, but Carolina defense played a great football game. They they did they did but I mean it, it just the, the turnovers that was the difference in the game the turnovers was the difference pretty much I mean the turnovers and like you said that punt return that led to another field goal I mean it, that that pretty much was the difference in the football game that that was the difference and so like you said I mean I agree with you I think the Denver Broncos not the Denver Broncos Carolina Panthers will be kicking themselves because they had opportunities. You know, if, if the game they played a cleaner game, they probably win that game. If, if it's a little cleaner, I mean that Tober that Tober fumble was huge because they were moving the ball. They were Broncos territory at the time, so he put the ball on the turf and, and that was huge. At least you could have got a field goal. And then, oh by the way, they also missed a field goal, uh, a very makeable field goal. So that was huge as well. And then, you, and then I guess the play that kind of makes me that leads me to believe that maybe the Broncos wanted a little bit more. It's when that fumble, Cam Newton fumble, and Cam just pretty much watched it. I don't know what he was thinking. He didn't dive in there. He had an opportunity to dive in there and recover the football. And then at least if he recovers the football, you recover the football, you just have to punt the ball back. And based off the way your defense was playing, you're probably going to get the ball back. Your thoughts on what you saw with Cam Newton and that fumble? It just seemed like he had a better chance and an opportunity to get it, and he didn't. 
I think that I think that play just shows you it's a little different mentality with these guys and and and, and the guys that were you know twenty thirty years ago. It's just a different mentality, you know. And, you know, I, I played with Trey Green and Trey Green has ACLs and this and that. You're gonna dive. Anybody good quarterback gonna try to dive on that ball? I know Cam said his knee was awkward. But he should have made an effort to try to get the ball. If he gets that ball, then maybe they don't score right there. I mean, that was the right. that was the game. That's the game on the line. Another thing I don't like about Carolina when it's trying to speed up the game and they're down, they're still running plays and running the shot, running the clock like they're not in a hurry. Where's the hurry up offense? You know, you got to have right. a Mike Shula. Where's the hurry up offense? I never saw a sense of urgency with that offense the entire game, even when they were down. I need to see. When, when, when things are down, I need to see you getting up to the ball, getting the ball out faster, speeding it up. Keep the defense off the field sometimes. That's what the teams are doing. Even in college, they do that. Alabama never changes it up. You got to go up tempo and then and then not let them change personnel and speed up the game and then time out for them. <laughs> they never yeah, try yeah. to do it. Yeah, that's why yeah, defense, nah, defense was able to play, Paul, because they never sped up the tempo of the game. Then we did, but Carolina didn't. Yeah, and I and I, I remember I remember you saying that the, they needed to 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 speed the game up and and make it a more up tempo game. And I thought that was a good I thought that was a great point because you know the the way that the the Denver Broncos were playing defensively, they were they were owning you, they were dominating you, and you had an you should have made it a little more up tempo. You should have went a little faster. Maybe you could have just changed the dynamic of the game. But for whatever reason, they didn't do it. They didn't make. And, 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 and that's why the Patriots and that's and Paul, that's why the Patriots were that were so much better this year. They switched it up and went more they went they they're going more up to the football sometimes. You don't get to change personnel. Now if they, if you get the switch one, the defense gets the switch one. But if you don't change personnel then you go up tempo, they don't get to rotate. And that's when that's when and when they when they got Kevin City and put it on them because Kevin City couldn't keep up with the up tempo and they tied them out and then they beat them. Now, in Denver, it didn't work as well because you put it on the road with the road, road noise and everything like that. But at home, another thing, I, I felt like that crowd was more of a Bronco crowd. It felt like that was more of a Bronco fan base in that stadium than it was a Carolina fan base. And it was, it, it, when, when, when Carolina was out there, it got loud. So, I mean, but but I got to see some type of up-tempo offense at some point when you're down. And, and they never had to face that this year, really, except – Atlanta, so they never had to really deal with it. So is 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 it fair to call Cam Newton possibly a front runner? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna say he's a front runner. Well, yeah, well, yeah, he's not a front runner in the, in the fact they jump on teams. They, they, I think they were down four times this season, so they did have to come back. So, yeah, but but, yeah, but they but they oh, they were front running on everybody this year. They jumped on teams. The teams were trying to play catch up. It's just like against the Saints. The Saints almost came back and they scored them thirty one points against uh, uh, Seattle. They didn't score any points in the second half. I mean, so you scored all the points in the first half. They scored any points. Seattle almost came back. Yeah, that and, right and there should have been a wake up call. Uh, and teams have come back against uh, Carolina throughout the course of the season. I'm just looking. I'm just looking at their schedule. And just I know they came back against the um, uh, the Seattle Seahawks in that fourth quarter during the regular season. They came back. They were down. They came back in that particular game. But I'm just looking at their schedule, and I'm thinking most of the time they were pretty much up 
in a lot of their football games throughout the game. So I'm not saying I'm not saying he's a front runner, but what, what I guess what you just I don't know you, you didn't I don't know you didn't see that there was I don't know there was something missing there was something missing and maybe it was that Broncos defense at the end of the day. But it just they just didn't work for the Carolina Panthers and they just they just couldn't get it back in and just couldn't work and just couldn't make it happen at the end of the day. I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. I'm going to switch gears to the Hall of Fame. Terrell Owens, uh, you know, kudos and salute to those who did make the Hall of Fame. But Terrell Owens was a guy that was many felt should have been in the Hall of Fame. And you look at his numbers, he's, and I'm looking at numbers, all-time touchdown leaders. LaDainian Tomlinson was the first ballot. Emmitt Smith was the first ballot. Jerry Rice was first ballot. And Terrell Owens is fifth in all-time touchdowns, and Randy Moss, he still is not eligible yet. And next year, I believe, he's eligible. And then I got Terrell Owens at five, and he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. You're talking about 156 touchdowns, fifth all-time in the National Football League. You're talking about second in all-time receiving yards behind Jerry Rice. I- I'm I- I'm asking you, you know, you were a guy that many thought should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer as well, ultimately got in. Did you do you think T.O. got jobbed? You know, just a, what, Paul, just like well, I'm two-time All-Decade and 11-time Pro Bowler. You know, they put Ed Buddy in instead of me. He took a player spot, but no tackle has had the numbers I had and did not get in on the first ballot. Yeah, Gary Zimmerman got it on the first ballot. He had a Super Bowl ring, but he went to seven Pro Bowls, but he was two-time All-Decade like I was. So you, you 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 know you can't look at it like that. You know, I, this is what I wish T.O. would do. I wish T.O. wouldn't go and talk to the media and do all that stuff that he's doing. Because if he keeps doing that, they ain't gonna put him in next year. You can argue and complain about it all you want. It's, it's, it's the group that wants to do it. I understand they're taking away from his from his legacy as a player. And you look T.O. to me, just like Junior Seau was the first battle Hall of Famer. They didn't have Junior Seau in the top 100 players. If you ask me, Junior Seau, Terrell Lawrence, and myself were in the top 50 players to ever play that game. Okay, so it's about his legacy, and I understand that. But what I'm saying to you is that what happened with Junior helped him get in there, but I don't know if Junior said he's talking about all the time, but I don't know if he would have been unless the circumstances happened, wouldn't have happened. But what I'm saying Everybody knows Terrell Holmes, how great a player he was. He went to all them teams and put up big numbers. You can't argue that, Paul. You know, was he a distraction? Yeah, he was a distraction at points everywhere he went. And I think that's part of it is a sports writer, and he was a distraction. So everybody knows how great a player T.O. was, and then he played with a broke hand one year. But I just think he just needs to let it go and then let, let them put him in when they put him in because if he keeps making noise, they're not going to put him in next year. I, but I, I look at it this way: Can you keep him out another year with, with the numbers that he has? Can you, I mean, can you justify keeping him? I know, I know exactly what you're saying, and on some level, I agree with you. But can you justify keeping him out fifth in all-time touchdowns? You know, we're, we're, we're you know fifth, second in receiving yards. I mean, come on, like, and, and that's that's. Sometimes one of my issues with the whole Hall of Fame thing is it becomes personal. And look what he did in the Super Bowl with a broke leg. What did he do yeah, for Philly? Yeah. What did he got like? He, he didn't play. What did he got like ten catches? He had like ten catches over over a hundred yards in that game. Well, I mean, he played great in that Super Bowl. 
I mean, T.O. came. They came to Kansas City, and T.O. played great. T.O. was in another thing about T.O. T.O. was played a lot of football. T.O. was on that field. Uh, how many games did he play in his career? Listen, did he play over over two hundred? Let's let look at his numbers in terms of his games. But the the the, the, the guy was a beast. And the, the, Terrell Owens in terms of games, total games. Let me say. It is rough. It is roughly over two hundred, about two hundred games, two hundred plus. About two hundred games. I mean, the, the guy didn't miss a lot of games, man. The guy was on the field. The guy came and played hard. He competed every week. You know, you can say what you want about him, but he was on the field competing every week, every week, and he did. He did a good job. So every and, and he and he was consistent and with delivering numbers. You know, maybe the numbers slid a little bit when he was in when he when he was in. Uh, in Cincinnati, but the guy did a great job, and and, and he should have. Is he a first ballot Hall of Fame? Yes, he's one of the top fifty I mean, players to play. Now, if you want to start talking about receivers with numbers up there, I got I got to put a guy up there in those numbers. Uh, Paul that played in my high school, Don Hudson, who had ninety nine touchdowns, and it took forty years until they could break the until until, until, until Steve Logic broke his record. So yeah. Don Hudson has to be in the talk one of the greatest receivers to play the game because he did that in the nineteen forties and fifties when he when he was uh when he had ninety nine touchdowns before uh Steve Logic uh went over hundred in his career. So I gotta have Don Hudson right up there with the top guys because he played look at the area he played in. But I will say T O should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. I would have Jerry Rice if I'm if I'm throwing my top five receivers, who you got? I got I got Jerry Rice one, um I don't know what order you put it in, but I got I got Don Hudson. Um, uh, who Moss, else? Who else? You put, who, who? Randy Moss. Randy Moss. I got I got I got Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, uh, Don Hudson, T.O. and uh, who else? And one other guy in my top five. Let's say you look at uh, well, obviously you got to say Jerry Rice, obviously Terrell Owens. Obviously, you said John Hudson. I mean, based off of what he did numbers-wise and the era that he did, you can't really argue with that. Um, There's still four years to break it. Does Michael Irvin get into that conversation? I don't know. Michael, Michael Irvin think. might get in that because of what he did in the, in the big games. you got to put Michael Irvin in there. or uh, you know, I, I, I'll say this. You put Mike in there because everybody talks about how great a leader he was. And you can talk about what Mike did off the field when it wasn't concerned with the team. But everybody tells me as far as what the team's concerned, Michael Irvin was working out in the nighttime, in the daytime. Michael Irvin was, was all about the team. So if you want to say that, then I got Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, because he's a freak of nature, Don Hudson, uh, Terrell Owens, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and, and, and Michael Irvin five. And maybe cause you could put, talk about Chris Carter maybe. Maybe. Well, I'm talking about because of the rings. Because Mike got three rings. And Mike, Mike sold up in all those games. True, true, no doubt, no doubt. And, and so, you know, again, hope, I, th- I think T.O. gets in next year. And I didn't think they were going to make – I didn't think they were going to make him a first ballot Hall of Famer anyway. I, didn't, I just didn't think it was going to happen for many reasons, mainly because of some of the stuff that he's done, you know, all the issues that he had in Philly, San Francisco – 
and beyond it. But you look at the numbers, even you know, even in his, his you said he did play over 200 games, played 219 games. Terrell Owens did him. Even in that final season, uh, even that season with Cincinnati, he had like 900 yards, over 900 yards in that particular season. So everywhere he went, he was productive. Dallas, Philly, San Francisco, everywhere he went, he was productive. And, and you know, hate him, love him, talk about what he was and, and some of the things he did. I'm not saying T.O. You know, my, one of my biggest things with T.O., one of my biggest issues with T.O. is that a lot of times, Every time you hear him talk, he said, my grandmother said this, my grandmother taught me this, my grandmother taught me that. that you know, my biggest issue with T.O. is everything that your grandmother taught you ain't right. And, and I know you love her, and I know she was good to you, and I know all that. But, you know, everything that our parents tell us and our grandparents tell us ain't right. And don't, so just because they say it don't mean we should follow it. So that, that's all I'm saying. But, you know, that, that's one of my biggest issues with T.O. It seems like every t- his grandmother told him to t- always tell the truth. But you don't tell the truth all the time. I mean, you can't tell the truth. and You can't really, really tell the truth because people really, really don't want to hear the truth all the time. So, I mean, you know, that's my biggest issue with, with T.O. I, I want, before we get out of here, Willie, um, in the great state of Arkansas, you know, we, we got the great Derek Fisher, and then we got the great Willie Rofe. I mean, there, there's going to be an award, the Willie Rofe Award out there in Arkansas for the top college offensive lineman. So what, what does that award mean to you? Well, it means a lot. It was the top high school and college lineman award. The high school I, this year went to a kid from my high school who won back-to-back state championships, Jordan, and another kid that went to a school in Little Rock. And this kid is going. Both of these kids have over a three-five GPA. I think the little the kid from Palm Rock has a four-point-two. So he's deciding whether he's going to play football at a small college or he's going to go on to be a doctor. Uh, uh, both of these kids have won back-to-back state championships, and then the college award goes to uh, the big, big guard, the big guard from Arkansas, number seventy-three. He played in the Senior Bowl, and uh, and, and it was uh, I think it was All-American, and uh, he got the, the the beautiful new trophy this year, uh, the bus. And my dad represented me this week. I just got back from uh, San Francisco, so I'm relaxing, and my kids are visiting me, so I didn't get to make it down there, but. You know, just to have that award named after me is such an honor. And uh, the fact that my dad was able to represent me this year. And uh, Dave McFaggin was the speaker uh, at the banquet this year. Last year was Michael Irvin. So the touchdown club and uh, David Brazil, they do a great job with that event. And I'm just so uh, so honored that they put that award after me. For sure, for sure. You know, that's a, that's a big-time honor. Anytime you can get a, an award named after you, that means you've done big things. And so – with that being said, before we get out of here, we also have another Arkansas boy in, in, in Derek Fisher. Any thoughts on any thoughts on D Fish? He lost his job with the Knicks and you know, well, well, you know he's having my a thoughts tough on time. D Fish My thoughts on D Fish is this. He's, I've met D Fish on several occasions hung out. I mean he's a nice guy. Uh, from all understandings I heard Paul before was a Christian guy, was a family man. You know, you don't, you you don't, even if things don't work out with, you know, at home with with, the, with your significant other, you know, I do, you don't, talk, you know, you don't try to tarnish your name. And and some of the stuff, you know, is still going on. You know, you, you, you know, you, Fisher had a, Fish family, Fish family had a great name in Arkansas. You know, I just don't want these fish to get caught up, you know, messing with some of these people that are messing with a bunch of other people. You know, it tarnishes his name. 
you know, and and and, and that's all we that's all we have prior to the end of the day. You want your kids to remember your name, and you, you want them to say, "Be proud of you." You know, and you, you know, Christian right. has to understand he's got little kids that are going to grow up, and, he, and you want them to respect you and talk good about you. And like you said, these articles and stuff that's happening, none of it goes away. It's always in the archives. That's true. That's true, especially with the internet. <laughs> so it's always there. It's always around, and it's, and it's unfortunate. I mean, I, on some level, according to reports. That issue with, with Matt Barnes ultimately cost him his job with the New York Knicks, and that's an unfortunate situation. And, and hopefully, you know, Steve Fish will, will learn a valuable lesson. And then you got the situation with him and Tim Hardaway Jr. possibly messing with the same girl. So it, it's messy with Steve Fish, and, and, and hopefully, I mean, I want and, 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 and Paul, Paul, you know, the, this part I've been played, and, and, and some of these coaches get these jobs. In the NBA, especially NBA and NFL, and then they want to be players again. And a lot of ex players. Your playing days are over. You're supposed to be you know, you're supposed to be up in New York with your family. Your family should not be if you're married, first of all, your family's in New York and you're in LA, in LA and you're in New York. That's that's a bad sign there. If you've got a wife and kids, they're supposed to be living with you and you're supposed to be a family, not living halfway across the country with each other. And you working. Because you basically a single man. So you know, you, you know, you know. If you're gonna be married and you're gonna be a family man, then you gotta put the family first. And everybody was wondering, you know, what happened when you know he had the 10 year anniversary for his wife, and a couple months later he was filing for divorce. Well, yeah, obviously man. we we see what we see what something's going on now, and what's done in the dark comes to the comes to the light. Um, yes, they do. And then you also look at it like you said, your playing days are over. And that should mean that should be more ways than one. I mean, you're playing days as a player, and you're playing days in terms of just sleeping around and getting around, and you know, doing what you do. I mean, those at some point you gotta, and, and it looks bad for Derek Fisher. You got the thing with the Players Association. You got this, you know, with, you know, with Tim Hardaway Jr. with Matt Barnes. I mean, it makes him really look like a, a, a slimy, grimy guy. And I, I don't know if he is that guy, but you know, the perception is reality. And I think the perception of Derek Fisher is not what it was, say, five, ten years ago. So that's an unfortunate thing. And like you said, that your name is all you got. And, and so you yeah. want to Fisher, always... Fisher was one of the class acts of the you know, NBA. Five, five right. ten years. He, 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 was the class, he was one of the class acts of the NBA. David Robinson, Derek Fisher, you know, guys like that. Uh, you know, what happened with Tim Duncan and his manager this fall? Tim Duncan. I mean, some of them guys like that, those are the guys – People looked up and respected in the NBA, and Fisher was one of the guys, a handful of guys that you would say, "Hey, man, this guy ain't out here doing this or that, or this guy seems like he's got his stuff together." But uh, you know, sometimes people go through situations, mid-life situations. You know, you know, he's retired from the NBA. That's the, I mean, retired from pro sports is a difficult transition, even though he still was coaching. So maybe it's the transition part that led to some of this, and he knew his career was almost over. And, you know, he just wanted to spread his wings a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, he, he spread his wings, and ultimately his wings uh, spread too far, and he spread them all the way out of the National Basketball Association, at least as a coach. And I don't know if he's going to get another job no time soon. I think it's going to take a while for him to even get on somebody's bench after what just transpired with Derek Fisher. But we'll see. Willie, pleasure, man. All right, good to talk to you, and uh... – you know, it's a crazy year. Let's, let's see what happens with basketball. Let's see what happens with some of these trade deadlines. And, uh, 
if uh, if the Cavs make a move, I don't know who's going to make a move, but with Dwight Howard and the whole situation in Houston, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the second half of this NBA season. And if anybody, if anybody can slow down those damn Golden State Warriors. <laughs> I, I will say this. It should be interesting. Uh, what we saw last week with OKC and, 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 and that particular game, I wouldn't mind seeing that series in the playoffs because I'm not saying OKC can beat them, but they can definitely go up and down with them, and that would be a fun series. So we'll, we'll see what happens. NBA is going to be fun in the second half of the season. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Hall of Famer Willie Rowe. We're about to bring in another guy now, um, you know, doing big things, unique rides, on velocity. That's a big-time show, and this guy is doing big-time things. Let's bring him in now, one of the stars of Velocity's new hit series, Unique Rides, the one, the only, Will Castro. Will, how are you, man? How you doing, Paul? How's everything going out there? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Will, let's get right down to it. You're doing big things with Unique Rides. First and foremost, how did this opportunity come up for you? Man, what happened was uh, we got a phone call uh, from one of our folks uh, over at uh, the production company and said, hey, Will, we saw that you uh some different designs that you're working with. And I said, absolutely. Will, your first celebrity client was the great Eric Sermon, the great rapper Eric Sermon. How much did that opportunity grow your business? I mean, I banned it. Um, I mean, it really does. I just believe. I, I just think that you know the hip hop culture is a very big part of the car culture. Um, at the okay. end of the day, I mean, you know, you know what you drive is how you feel. You know, and and, and obviously when you drive it in your car, we're listening to Paul and we're listening to music. <laughs> For sure, we're talking to one of the stars of Unique Rides, Will Castro, and and like you said, you talked about. The hip hop community. You've done things for Fifty. You've done things for Diddy. First and foremost, I, I look at Diddy. He seems like a tough guy to, to uh, do a car for. What's it like working with P Diddy? Uh, obviously, uh, Diddy is. A, uh, it was really a great experience working with Diddy because he got the you know the best out of us. I'm gonna be honest. The first time when we first worked on on something with Diddy. Um, he caught me there for a quick second because I got a little starstruck, to be honest. When I was in his office, I was like, wow, I'm in, I'm in Sean Combs' office right now. And then he started telling me, hey, well, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that on my Jeep Wrangler. And then I was like, hold on, wait, wait, hold on. this is what I do for a living. I don't, I'm not going to tell you how to produce music and write music and everything else. But uh, it was a great experience because he actually uh, gave me a lot of great ideas on this New Jack City theme. And, and I just feel that we were one of the part of uh, the uh, – I would say maybe trendsetters with the Jeep Wranglers because we made them sexy again. For sure, for sure. And, and you guys are doing big-time things. Let me ask you this. You trick out cars for a living. What is the average job? How much does the average job cost? I, I mean, we, listen, we're very accessible. I mean, we, we actually have uh, Chico that does all our window tents, so you basically can get a car tinted if you want. And basically, it only raises about $200 to get a window tent. Or, you know, basically, okay. depending on what you want to do on your vehicle, the scope of the project really determines on how much uh, something really goes for. How about your celebrity cars? It, it could range anywhere from, you know, $1,000 to $5,000. Okay. All right. All right. So we're talking to one of the stars of Velocity's 
new hit series, Unique Rides, Will Castro. And, and let me ask you this. Majority of your business does come from celebrity clients. I know you love all your customers, but do you have a personal favorite? Do I have a personal favorite uh, client that I, that we work with? Yeah. Um, I got to say probably my brother Buster. He's probably one of the most toughest critics, toughest demanding clients that I do have. And please tune in tonight to see what he actually makes us do on one of his rides. I mean, he's just, he's a car enthusiast. He's a designer. He's an artist. Uh, but he, he probably is one of our best uh, clients that we've worked with. And, and actually, you know, he has a special part in our unique family because of the fact that he made us very global when he, we first stepped on the scene on MTV Cribs, uh, on, the, on, on, the, on the Cribs and Whips thing. And that thing went nationally and globally. So he made us a global brand. Okay, all right. So I, I know one of your clients was LeBron James. How, what's it like working with LeBron, and, and what did you do for him? Uh, we worked on a, more than more than five vehicles for LeBron, and, and, you know, we worked from old schools to new schools to to H2 Hummer to Jaguars to to actually a Ferrari. I mean, like, he you know, basically, um, you know, you have to be able to – Make sure he fits in the vehicle properly, and and he likes his sounds just like everybody else, and and he likes it personalized with his LB logo on it. We're talking to one of the stars of Unique Rides, Will Castro, and I, I heard that you put a car together with a stripper pole. Tell us about that one. Oh man, that was a that was a, a very uh, interesting uh, project that Pamela Anderson. Uh, had a special request. It was a, 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 it was an airstream that we made into a love stream. And she was like, "Will, um, I want a round circular bed with a stripper pole, and can you make that happen with a sound system and a shag carpet?" And I said, "You came to the right guys here at Unique. We can p- perform and do anything you want." So obviously, uh, we was able to do a light up, uh, clear, uh, loose sight pink light up a uh, stripper pole with a vibrating bed and uh that was a, a definitely a great experience and Pam is a great person. Did she perform anything for you? You don't have to answer that. Uh Pam? No, no. She's she's uh she's an entertainer. She, you know, she just basically I, you know, I mean it's been it's been it's on it's on every social media out there. She definitely uh we was able to drink a little bit of bubbly and we had a great time and dancing all over the poles. <laughs> What's the craziest request you ever had? That's probably got to be my craziest, to be honest. I mean, we don't okay. do, uh, we, you know, we're not pimp my ride. You know, we're not one of those that we're putting any, like, you know, we're not putting jacuzzis in the back of a trunk. We don't do things like that. We do, you know, grown man stuff, sexy, and, and, and actually for the, you know, we do something that uh, our cars are built for the streets. I mean, you use them every day. These are not show cars that you build okay. and you put them in the garage and they sit in there for six months and then you bring them to a car show. I mean, my customers, you know, they drive their cars day in and day out. They're hitting the streets. They're hitting these potholes. They're calling us at 3 in the morning. Well, I need some service. I mean, you know, a flatbed. I need a new wheel. I need a new tire. Um, I got a cigarette burn in the, in the seat. Like, you know, they they driving these cars every day. So that's what we build. These are unique cars that, that are built for the streets every day. What's the most expensive job you've ever done? What's the most expensive scope of the job that we ever done? I mean, um, 
it's hard to say. I mean, we've built tour buses. Uh, okay. I don't I don't have something like that, but you know they're expensive. You know, you know we we could you know I know you. Uh, I see where this is going. I mean, it's just it's it's not really about the price. It's about we don't really we just do it for the passion. It's depending on what the customer wants is what we build. You know what I'm saying? It's like like anything else. Now I, I see. Also, you you work with Odell Beckham Jr. What did you do for Odell? Odell, we did a few cars. We did a Maserati and a Mercedes Benz. Uh, we had to actually do uh, a vehicle that he had got done back at home, and we had to redo it. You're gonna have to tune into that one tonight. That one's pretty crazy. Uh, we did some shoes. We did a, a custom wrap. We did some tint, and uh, you know he he had, he's definitely a, a very stylish guy as well. So, what can we expect moving forward out of Unique Ride throughout the course of this season? What can we expect? You, you're going to see a lot of interesting different vehicles that we built for the streets, uh, but they have a unique touch on each individual project. And what, what I think I was, what we was able to do is that you, you're seeing Team Unique work together with a, a bunch of new faces, and what's really a big part also is my brother Bobby Castro. Uh, you know, he's uh, you know DJ slash barber, uh, car extraordinaire. So basically you're going to see him and, and the show as well. So he's one of my my stars that's been working right next to me, and he can get okay. it the most because he's my brother. <laughs> you also did something for Donald Trump. What did you do for the Donald? Uh, that one, Donald. Uh, that was something that we did about like five years ago. We were supposed to work on a boat or something like that. Okay. Okay. So you're gonna vote for Donald? <laughs> uh, excuse me. You going to vote for Donald? Ah, <laughs> uh, man, no comment. <laughs> We're talking to one of the stars of Unique Rides. Yeah, Will please Castro. make sure you tune in. Yes, Velocity, sure. 9 p.m. Tuesday night, Eastern Time, 8 Central. <laughs> Again, make sure you support this man. Tune in each and every Tuesday, man, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, on Velocity. Support this man. What car does Will Castro drive? Man, I mean, it's out there. One of my favorite cars that I drive on a daily basis is a little, you know, Dodge Dart, man. It's a four-stone that gets me from A to B. Just tents, okay. that's it. Tents and stock wheels hitting these potholes. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. You, you, like you said, you, you do crazy things with rides. You, you do a lot of great things. Do you have, like, a dream car? Is, is there, like, a dream thing that you would like to do to a car? Or have you done uh-huh. it all? No, no. I mean, Paul. I, 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 I just want to say this though. You got to understand. I live, I live my dream every day. Okay. I wake up every day just being blessed every day to do what I do, and I, and basically, it's not a job. Like I wake up every day. Like you don't know who's gonna call today. I could get a phone okay. call from Michael Jordan today. I get a phone call tomorrow from Mike Tyson. I mean, this it's just endless. It's just you know, I'm very blessed to do what I do. And I enjoy doing it. You know what I'm saying? And and it, and we and it could be a regular it could be a regular customer say, Hey, Will, you know what? I saw a car that you've built that I just saw on the streets. Can you do that for me? And 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 we sit down and we talk. And if he's able to to come up with the budget that he's looking to do his car with, I, I'm doing my job. I mean, this this is not a job for me. I just love what I do. So as far as what car. All my cars, everything that we built is is my dream. Okay. All right. So, fans, again, 
Make sure you check this man out each and every Tuesday on Velocity, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Central on Velocity. Support this man, Will Castro. Hit him up on his website, willcastro.com. Also hit him up on Twitter at I am Will Castro and support my man. All the great I like that. Appreciate going on. you. We also on IG Will Castro. Go ahead. We're on IG also at I am Will Castro and uh, hashtag Unique Rides. Okay, so fans support this man. He's doing big things again. Unique Rides. So, so what do you drive, Paul? I got. I'm gonna flip. I mean, hey, 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 Paul, what do you drive? <laughs> A Honda Civic. Alright. Do you have any shoes on it? Do you got any shoes on it? Nah, nah. No shoes? <laughs> you got tent? I know you got some no tent, tent on it. No tent? No okay. tent, no shoes. You, so you driving fish tank style, clear clear glass? Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe I need to head out to Long Island one of these days. You need to, man. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> definitely for having us on, man. For sure, for sure. Will, it was a pleasure, man. All the best of luck. Let's do it again. Thank you so much. Will Castro, one of the stars. Unique rides each and every Tuesday on Velocity, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Central on Velocity. Support all the great things going on with Will Castro. He's doing it big on Velocity, doing big with that particular show. About to bring somebody else now. Um, this person's doing big things with with PTI. You hear her voice on PTI each and every uh, day. You know she she every time they go in and out of commercial, you'll hear her voice. You hear pardon the interruption is presented by Guinness, and you know so you you'll hear her voice each and every day on PTI. She did some work on a 2010 NFL draft. She did some work with uh, the Super Bowl. Upcoming Super Bowl, she did some work for ESPN as, uh, you know, the Super Bowl was coming up and she was voicing over some things for ESPN. Also, she does big things with, with Disney, you know, the, with some of the theme parks and, and does some big things in, in, in the video game world. I mean, she's doing big things in, in a lot of different places. We're about to bring her in uh, now and she's, you know, it's going to be fun talking to her. She's always a laugh and a joy and a good old time. You hear this voice every day, day in and day out on PTI. You've heard this voice for the 2010 NFL Draft on ESPN. You've heard this voice in video games, and you heard this voice in movies. Let's bring her in now. Voiceover extraordinaire, the one, the only, Kat Cressida. Kat, how are you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, after that lead-in, I am stellar. (laughs) You just got me pumped. (laughs) <laughs> awesome let's, Hello. let's get right down to it I mean, b- before the Super Bowl We're going to get to the Super Bowl But before the Super Bowl started We heard your smooth voice As a part of ESPN They were doing Super Bowl vignettes Leading up to the Super Bowl Super Bowl One, All the way to Super Bowl 49 Talk about that Talk about how fun that was for you I'm impressed with your energy level This is i got to get up there <laughs> got to drink a Red Bull or two um, it was it was fantastic, and um, I mean, Paul, you know, because we we've become homies over the past few months, uh, chatting NFL. It's always a huge, huge honor for me to uh, do anything with that particular brand and with those amazing 
just all of them. Every single person who works for ESPN is so 180% committed to what they do and the sport, um, and they're all about making sure that sports fans, you know, really have the juice in terms of whatever it is they want to know, when they want to know it, how they want to know it. And it's it's very intimidating and, uh, and you know, an honor at the same time. I'm, I'm always walking that line between, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I hope I don't mess up, and just feeling hugely <laughs> proud and honored and, and amazed that I ended up being the person, that, you know, at their microphone, so to speak. It's sure. really a, an awesome opportunity. And, yes, those little vignettes that you heard all throughout, I think it was running all week, <laughs> 24-7, they were running them, you know, in between SportsCenter and Mike and Mike and PTI and uh, just uh, I, what I was told that you heard it most of all throughout every NFL special they were running, and they were just little cute, adorable countdowns. I was blasting out the headline okay. saying, you know, adorable little things like, you know, the Steel City owns the 70s, commitment to excellence. Super Bowl 16, <laughs> Niners signal their arrival. I'm the lucky chick who ended up in the middle of the NFL, but I'm still playing catch-up in terms, in terms of learning the incredible legacy that is For the sure. NFL in America. Let's get to the big game now. Let's get to Super Bowl 50. It yes, was a what? game that surprised a lot of people. Obviously, many, including myself, expected the Carolina Panthers to win that particular football game. But the Denver Broncos, the defense was big. Peyton Manning. Uh, not that great, but he was good enough, <laughs> and ultimately the Broncos got it done. It wasn't very. It wasn't a game that uh, you know it's gonna you're gonna remember for a long, long time because it wasn't very, very exciting. Your thoughts on what you saw in Super Bowl Fifty? My thoughts. I was okay. Well, first of all, you're coming from a, a different perspective again. So my thoughts always are mad respect for the players mad respect for the coaches. That's not me trying to be politically correct. I'm always incredibly impressed when I sit down to watch any of these games at the incredible amount of choreography and skill and strategy that has to go into it. And it's taken me a while, as you know, to really learn how deep that all goes. So that's usually my first thought, to be authentic, is that anybody's carrying this off. But if you're going to compare it, you know, to, to other games... I think I would have to throw in with the majority, which is it was a relatively uneventful game. It felt like everybody was sort of out there playing, but the and again, it's it's such it's so arrogant for any of us sitting on our couches eating our potato chips to say anything like this, but you felt like you wanted them to be doing more and to be living up to all of their potential as players and to be really bringing it in terms of the game. And, of course, they're not playing the game for our entertainment value at home. And I try and always, whenever any of my male homies start throwing in about anything sports-wise, I'm always just like, okay, you could do better. (laughs) You know, (laughs) these guys are doing their absolute best, and they're not there to bring a perfectly polished, well-balanced game for for the viewers at home. They're just trying to win the game. But right. that being said, compared to other Super Bowls that, that I've watched and com- compared to sports in general, it felt like a bit of a, you know, okay, a bit of a yawn. Blah. I hate to say that, but yeah. Blah. <laughs> it, it was. That's okay. I mean, it, I mean, I don't want to offend anybody. And again, these players uh, are just incredible, you know, 
incredible machines and top of their game, and they deserve to be there. But, yeah. And and, and don't give me – you know, I, I like a defensive struggle. I mean, I like to see, you know, defenses out there making plays and, and doing their thing. But it, it just was – it was a smidge boring. Don't get me wrong. I love the game. I love football. I yeah. enjoyed it. But, it yeah. was, like you said, to your point, it was a little bit of a letdown on some level. You expected better football from – I think Carolina more so, I think, because we kind yes. of got what we expected from the yeah. Broncos. Defense, yeah. Peyton Manning, you know, he, he wasn't great, but he was good enough. But you expected more from Cam. You expected more from the Panthers. And ultimately that did not happen. And uh, yeah, they were the Denver Broncos. Yeah, go ahead. No, they absolutely. And again, I'm I'm following the lead of all the great sports bloggers and writers that I'm observing on Twitter and on you know media in general. From what I from what I gathered from all of you all, you know, you included, the Panthers were really. Uh, a lot of people seemed to really feel it was going to be the Panthers game and that they were very dynamic and that they were going to bring a lot of interest and their offense was going to be really strong and that uh, if if the Broncos stood a chance, it was going to be because of their strong defense. And they could right. only hope that their defense was going to be able to prevail against the Panthers. And that certainly happened, but with a lot less um, <laughs> drive from the Panthers than I think most of us were anticipating going into the game. Definitely, definitely. But you God, know, I, I almost sound like Denver, I know. You, you do, you do, you do, you do. You <laughs> sound like you know what you're talking about. Kudos to the Denver Broncos. Kudos to Peyton Manning. He walks out a winner, and hopefully, hopefully for his sake, he hangs it up, and we won't see him out there again. And he's done. He's most definitely done. We've seen the best of Peyton Manning, and I don't think we want to see it again. We're talking to voiceover extraordinaire. Kat Cressida, we hear her voice each and every day on PTI. And so if you listen to PTI and watch PTI, you hear her voice. Kat, Cam Newton, after the game, Cam Newton was not very talkative. And and ultimately <laughs> he walked off. And he said uh, the day after, you know what, I'm a sore loser. But at the end of the day, you look at the situation Guy is only 26 years old, and at the end of the day, he lost the, the biggest game of his career. So you, you kind of understand it, but you also have to look at it from the perspective. You are in the NFL. You have to talk to the media. It is your job. Your thoughts? Well, you just covered it. You're, you, you covered it beautifully. Um, I And I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, obviously – it became the story, which is shocking to me. That's always surprising to me when the focus of a major sports event goes on what happened after it or, you know, someone's emotional reaction. to it, It's astonishing to me that our social media and our media in general world has become about that. I, I feel like the stories about the Super Bowl should be about the Super Bowl and about the players and how they each performed and the game itself. It's very weird for me that people are talking way more about Cam Newton's, you know, three minutes, three minute, com- you know, conference after after the game. So right. that would be my first comment. My second comment and reaction is, I totally get it, and I see everybody's side of it, 
but maybe maybe I have more empathy for Cam Newton in a teeny bit, and this is going to sound weird when I say this, but I make my living, my livelihood is performance-based. Yeah, that You know, what I do for a living is 100% uh, sort of out there for other people to debate on, discuss about. I see it on video games, you know, voice of video games and voice of cartoons and voice of whatever, people love to throw their two cents in about my quote-unquote performance. And for the most part, fortunately, because I'm in the entertainment world, it's usually positive and I'm not on a reality show, nor is my life being lived in the, in the public eye. So mm-hmm. I have tremendous empathy for what it's like for somebody who, whose life is out there for public consumption and they're expected to almost not have normal reactions the way any of us as human beings would normally react. Does that make sense definitely. when I say that? De- so no, definitely. I, for, so, again, not to make this about me, but I'm trying to respond authentically in the moment to what you're asking. I go out there and I, you know, I go out there and I audition, do a callback for a lead on a series, a Disney series, let's, let's call it. Of course. You know, my hopes and dreams and my whole being is wrapped up in the results of what happens from that callback. I want it. I want it desperately. I'm passionately, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a Disney ho and I'm all about the brand. I put my whole heart into that callback. That's my, those are my playoffs (laughs) or my Super Bowl. And I'm going to hear back from someone eventually whether or not I got that. If you were to stick a camera and a microphone in my face within, let's call it 15 minutes after that or half an hour or even five hours or a day after that, I'm going to be a human being and I'm going to do my absolute best to come off as gracious and grateful and happy to be making the living that I make. And, you know, it wasn't life or death per se, but it really mattered. I'm going to do my best, but you may get the real me you know, depending on what's going on for me emotionally. So to bring that full circle to, to Cam, you know, God bless him. The kid is, what, 26? And he's yeah. just played the game so far of his life so far. He's going to have other games, we can assume, because he's that okay. tremendous. But, oh, my gosh, to the, the pressure and the expectations, he just played football, yo, for three and a half hours or whatever it is that they're out there busting his butt, and he lost, and he's 26. Put that on yourself. Think how you would handle that. All of us, I think, should be piping down a bit and saying, you know what, give him a break. (laughs) He did his absolute best on the field. Was it a, a perfect game according to all of us experts sitting on our couches or sitting, you know, at our typewriters or, sorry, the typewriters, computers. I just aged myself. <laughs> um, sitting at our computers. He did a great job, and that's an understatement. He kicked. For sure. He kicked major butt compared to most of us, and now we're asking him how he feels about it. Yes, there's the other side of it, which is he's paying, he's being paid a, ginormous amount of money to do what he's doing and it's a quote-unquote expectation when you join the NFL to also be entertaining somewhat I guess you know at post game but I think that's a tremendous amount to expect of anybody and I I think it's ridiculous that people are making such a big deal about the fact that he didn't have very much to say 
Right. I mean, and at the, I mean, I, I can I can see both sides of it, really. I mean, because you know it is your job on some level to talk to the media, but like you said, he is 26, and like you said, I mean, it's 10, 15 minutes after one of the biggest disappointments in your life. So, you know, and and if you put a microphone in front of everybody, anybody, any and everybody. 10 to 15 minutes after one of the most disappointment, you know, one of the most disappointing things in your life, it may not be pretty. So, you know, it, it, it comes with the territory. I understand both sides of it. We have to be okay with that. And by we, I think the general public needs to base, if we're going to do that and we're going to, aren't, aren't we wanting the real deal? Aren't we all secretly hoping that we're going to hear the truth as opposed to a spin? Because I get really sick, quite honestly, of hearing athletes sound like they're totally canned and it was a pre-written speech it doesn't feel fair to them it doesn't feel fair to us we're asking them for their thoughts we're asking them for how they feel we're throwing it right in front of their face so we got back the real deal he didn't want to talk (laughs) he didn't feel like talking and he didn't and i think you know some of us should be lucky he didn't say worse right i mean if i just lost the super bowl i'd probably have a stream of profanity coming out of my mouth if we were being authentic So I think that... I think uh, most people would. Yeah, and so then we kind of have to ask ourselves, if we want it to be authentic and not sound like a pre-canned speech, then we got to be prepared that it's going to be authentic for how they're really feeling in the moment. And if we want a pre-canned speech, then I want to turn around to people and say, why do you want that? Why do you want him to pretend like he's really happy for the competition? Or what what did people want him to... uh, Let me ask you, what do you think he should have said? Is there a should have? I think he could have handled handled it a little better. I mean, most definitely, I think he could have handled it a little right. better. But I understand. I get it. I, and I'm with you. I'm not going to come down hard on him for it. But at the end of the day, you know, it comes with the territory. It's a part of your job. And so since it is a part of your job, you got to try to do what you got to do uh, to perform your job duties. And, and so that's a part of your job. So, I mean, Hopefully, again, he'll learn from it, and, and moving forward, he'll do better. And and for his sake, hopefully he's never in a position where he has to explain a Super Bowl loss. We're talking to voiceover extraordinaire Kat Cressida. You hear her every day on PTI. Let's go to PTI, and I know every day we hear your voice. Let me do a little imitation. Pardon the interruption is presented by Guinness. And that's all I got. Good, bad. Uh, I hate to be cliche, but I wouldn't quit your day job just at the moment. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I tried, I tried. It was but... adorable. <laughs> um, and, and actually, to give you credit, there's a there's a video circulating. I'll send you a copy of it of a shout out that that Tony and Mike did for me, where Tony tries to imitate me. And he did worse than you. So, okay. to your All credit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try to perfect it. I'll try to perfect it and, and see okay. if I can do a little okay. better. You can get back but to us later in the show. Definitely. And, you know, you're, you've been a part of PTI since its inception back in 2004. And I, and I was at ESPN at the time, and I remember you know, I remember a few people going down to D.C. Talk about that opportunity, opportunity of, of PTI. How did that come about for you? So how that happened was, uh, and and I apologize in advance to your listeners because this is going to piss off some people, and and I don't want to offend. 
but I did not know who Tony or Mike was. I did not know their huge importance or their place in the in the universe of sports. And um, literally, I had just gotten a great New York agent. I'm, I'm on the West Coast. But the part of voiceover that I've always been passionate about and wanted to break into and be a part of was what's called promo slash announce. And that okay. that covers everything from movie trailers in a world, you know, all of the movie trailers are you to, you know, coming up next on NBC, stay tuned, you know, all of that stuff. Um, that's a very specific part, and those people are predominantly male. Um, it's getting more and more and more so that um, more women are being heard on networks and in a, a few trailers. I'm, I'm the voice of trailers for Barbie. <laughs> if you all have daughters um, or yeah, little sisters, yeah. uh, anything that's American Girl or Barbie or Monster High, I do all those trailers. But um, and occasionally for Disney, very very lucky to be of that group. But long story short, back in 2004, the only way to really break into that world was to have uh, East Coast representation because a lot of the cable networks were and still are on the East Coast, so they cast out of there. And so I just got in a New York agency, and it was probably one of the first things that I auditioned for with them. And um, it literally just, you get, we get, we get tons of audit. We get hundreds of auditions a week in, when you're in professional voiceover. You're you're literally mm-hmm. reading on McDonald's commercials and video games and animation and all kinds of promos and trailers. And of course, you're just doing your absolute best on each one, and you're reading the specs and doing your absolute best to give whatever it is that they expect, meaning the description of what they want to hear from the voice. And I wasn't overly familiar with sports. That's an understatement. And, of course, I knew what ESPN was. Did I watch it? (laughs) Maybe if I were stuck at an airport and it was on at the airport bar. But it wasn't my first choice in terms of entertainment. I'm I'm a big HBO, you know, cable gal. So, um, meaning, you know, all of the original great content and movies and all of that. I tend to to watch stars and HBO and Encore and and, um, all of that. So I knew that it was sports. I knew that it was it was described as being um, a show very prestigious. It, they had something about how prestigious it was going to be in terms of the talent attached to it. I don't even remember if they mentioned the, the talent attached to it, but it was a very upscale, okay. smart sports debate show, and they were looking for a voice, and they gave the description of the voice, and I just did my absolute best to deliver what they wanted. Um, and it was sort of beginner's luck in a certain sense because I didn't, as I, as I tend to joke with people, I didn't know enough at the time to get in my own way. They asked for something and I gave them my authentic straight shot from the gut of what they were looking okay. for without overthinking it. And this, the description was <laughs> something to the effect of she's the voice of the gal that you can hang with and watch the game with, talk, uh, talk about the game, debate about the game, knock back a couple of beers maybe, and then there's sort of an implication of what might happen after the game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. After you knock she's back like the a perfect, couple of beers. You're your perfect sports gal uh, that you okay. want to hang out with. You know, you, you did PTI back in 2004, and then ultimately we fast forward to 2010, and you're working on the NFL draft for ESPN. Let me ask you this. If 
you don't have get that PTI gig, do you think the NFL draft opens up for you? No, absolutely not. I was so blessed and lucky and fortunate, and I mean this a hundred hundred percent. The folks at ESPN are incredibly smart, savvy, loyal. They know their ish, and when they like, they're they're no. They're no BS. If they like something, they like it. If they don't, they don't. And um, the fact that I got incredibly lucky to be on this phenomenal, iconic show, and I mean that, that's not blowing smoke, um, opened up a lot of doors because suddenly I was being forced to learn a lot about sports entertainment, sports broadcasting very quickly, and I asked a lot of questions and I learned a lot. And along the way, you know, then you meet, you sort of meet other producers who are taking over for that segment or for that day. You know, people sort of move up the food chain, so to speak, or move on to other shows. And um, I just always felt lucky and was incredibly grateful. And um, when other opportunities came up, I was lucky to be someone who was at least in the running for it. And um, I think because I was different, you know, I was, I was a female voice as opposed to a male right. voice, that if a producer was looking for something that might stand out a bit more or be different than just the male-on-male-on-male-on-male VO that you tend to hear on sports a lot, um, right. I'm not saying they haven't introduced females into that dialogue, and they have, and they've been great about that, but predominantly, you know, the athletes are predominantly male, the sportscaster is predominantly male, the commentator is predominantly male, and the promo voice is predominantly male. So if you wanted to stand out or have a bit more punch or a bit more sizzle or a bit more sex appeal, dare, dare I say, you're going to maybe think differently. And I've been very lucky that uh, for such a major uh, franchise and for such an incredible brand, I've been sort of the go-to female for a lot of things and have learned from each one tremendously when I did Gruden's QB camp. Uh, for a number uh, for a number of years, um, learned so much about what's a combine, what happens at the combine, what happened at this combine, who's coming out of the combine, who's going to the draft. You know, you sort of start to really learn because the scripts are being thrown in front of you. And again, if you want to sound like you have the right context, you're asking the right questions, and at least learning as best as you can what who all these major players are, and uh, and how to how to engage about them. I hope I. I hope I'm making any sense at all to you and no, to your awesome you're making, listeners. You're definitely making a lot of sense. And, and ultimately, as you said, the PTI gig opened up the 2010 NFL draft gig. Talk about the NFL draft gig. Talk about that opportunity and, and your experience. Okay. Um, that started with a random phone call out of the blue in 2010, beginning of 2010, probably in – End of Jan- end of January, so right around this time, uh, right around this time, end of January, early February, on my cell phone came a phone number uh, with the eight six zero area code. Anybody who knows what that is, that's Bristol, Connecticut. Bum bum bum. That's of course uh, our friends at ESPN, and I didn't recognize it, but I assumed because it was a Monday, and that's usually the day I deliver billboards to PTI. I assumed it was someone calling from there. Uh, needing something, a pickup, or they couldn't pull something or something like that. And it was this voice, very staticky, very distant, very hard to understand um, someone saying that they were calling, and they introduced themselves, and I finally caught that their name was Jay, 
and would I be interested in working on the draft? I had no idea what they meant. I didn't understand (laughs) what the context of the conversation was. And traditionally speaking in our world, not to get all Hollywood on anybody, but usually uh, calls like that go to our agents first, you know, um, wanting to find out rates and availability, usually. So uh, I didn't quite get that it was someone asking me if I was interested in doing this gig. And, um, but the, the guy sounded very, you know, a lot of energy, sounded very smart, very passionate, a lot of energy, uh, but it was hard to hear him. And he, he kept apologizing, saying he was on a cruise. <laughs> he was okay. calling me wow. from a cruise ship. And he, I eventually put together, I remember whipping out a notepad and a pen to start taking notes just so I could remember after the fact what the conversation was so I could relay it properly to my, my reps, my agents, or my manager. But the person was saying he was on a Disney cruise. It was ESPN week on a Disney cruise, and he was there as a special guest. And his name was Jay. Turns out it was Jay Rothman. Who anybody who knows their football, ESPN knows he's Monday Night Football. He's pretty much the franchise for NFL. He's the head guy, senior producer or exec producer. And he wanted to know if I'd, hey, would you be interested in doing this with us this year? And I didn't know what that meant, and I didn't know what the draft was. So I was very polite, and I said, it sounds great. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Are you asking me if I want to voice for it, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really love your voice. I love your voice from uh, PTI. And here's the thing. We're doing something new this year. We want it to be, it's going to be at Radio City Music Hall, which we, it always is, but we're going to be doing it sort of more glamorous, more sort of Oscar style and towards that end, we want sort of a more glamorous, sexy, cool sound to it. And um, it sounded great, but again, I don't hate me listeners, had no idea what the draft was. And, um, had to quickly, you know, of course, immediately asked my agents, what is that? What are they talking about? What are they referring to? And one of my agents in particular at the William Morris Agency, I won't say who he is, but he's a huge ESPN nut. I mean, he literally has the television on 24-7 in the background on ESPN. And when he found out that I was doing it, he it was like he won the lottery. He was so excited for me that this was happening and going down. But it was a conversation that happened relatively quickly. They knew what they wanted. I was lucky to be asked to do this. And and P.S. to listeners who are rolling their eyes, this is not how my world normally rolls. We have to work very hard to win jobs, usually through auditions. spend a lot of time auditioning. When anybody asks me what I do for a living, I usually joke, I audition. And anything else that comes along after it is sort of the icing on the cake. And I'm lucky to, um, you know, to make a, a very fortunate living at it. But it's not, it usually doesn't just fall on your lap like that. So um, there were a lot of details that had to get worked out after the fact. And I had to do a lot of learning. Index cards and a lot of reading of magazines and a lot of getting up to speed on what it would mean. And even though I wasn't expected to really know, I wasn't going to be commentating on it or, or broadcasting about it. I wanted to at least have the context and understand what this tremendous event was, and I certainly had to learn pronunciations of names. That was, if anybody remembers, in Dominican Sue's uh, year. So there were a lot of names that I needed to make sure that I was going to 
get flawlessly because it was live. It was going to be 100% right. live with almost wow. zero uh, delay. So I needed to. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was um, the most alive moments of my life, even to date, in terms of making sure that I was completely present and knew my ish and ready to go. And of course, as anybody knows, if they know their draft, things are changing last minute. So there was no way to uh, to rehearse or practice or or memorize lines or anything like that. It was going to be completely in the moment. They were scrawling on index cards my script, and and these are sports dudes, so you can imagine what their handwriting looked like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing personal, but um, it was like, you know, scrawled on index cards, thrown in front of me, thrown on the music stand, and boom, go. So it was uh, awe-inspiring that I survived it, and wow, what an exper- experience. So, Kat, you know, obviously your life is a big audition. All the world is an audition <laughs> when it comes to you and your life. So let me ask you this. And I know you can't say all the auditions that you're doing, but what are some of the new endeavors that, or what are some of the new things that we can expect from Cat Cressida moving forward? Yeah, you say that with such excitement. I wonder if any of your listeners are like thinking if he says the word extraordinaire one more time, I'm a pound him. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're so sweet. Uh, I'm very fortunate to do a lot of VO for a lot of really cool things. So video games. Uh, I think I'm, I'm always allowed to talk about them after they've dropped, once they're on the market. Right. Um, and that makes it a very unusual world for me on social media and great podcasts because there's so much going. There's so much I'm recording right now that I'm not allowed to talk about uh, because okay. we sign NDAs. So I'm doing a very exciting feature film for Disney um, as a, a voice match for one of the lead voices. I'm not allowed to talk about that. Um, but that's very exciting for me. Um, I'm voicing several video games at the moment. I just got put on hold for another one, which actually I can probably... That one's it's a, it's an expansion to an already existing game that I'm already voicing on, so I'm going to do okay. Marvel Universe in a couple of weeks. I'm the voice All of right. Electra for that, so that's really exciting. Um, and, uh, and then a, a bunch of other games that I wish I could mention... One is about one major game is about to drop right before E3. Does anybody you know what E3 is? Am I, is that a foreign language to you? Uh, that is a foreign language that, to me. That's like the equivalent of like the NFL draft for football fans. Basically, it, you know what Comic Con is? I do know what Comic Con is. Yeah. Yeah. So E3 is Comic Con, but 100% video games. It's the whole okay, video game okay. world, and it's All the right, biggest event in video games for both the press and the fans. And okay. it's huge, and it takes over the L.A. Convention Center, which is huge right across from the Staples Center. And it is basically three days of nonstop rollouts of all of the big video ga- current video games, everything that currently is huge and also everything that's about to hit the market. You get previews. You get to play the games that, uh, before they hit the market. And mm-hmm. last year the big the big rollout was, um, Star Wars, you know, there's like a huge ruckus about that, of course, and um, and Arkham Knight and Fallout 4 okay. and, and all of those. So uh, I was, uh, there's a game about to drop that's a big deal, 
and I'm one of the lead voices of it. And the, the making of video is about to hit, and I'll definitely send you a copy of that when, when that comes right. out. I'm one of the only non-celebrities who's a lead voice, so that's really exciting because most of the voices on it are celebrities, celebrities. Um, okay. And what else am I doing? I do a lot of trailers, as we talked about, a lot of promo work uh, for different networks. And um, what can I talk about? Well, I, Fallout 4 just came out. I'm a voice on that. Um, uh-huh. Arkham Knight dropped fairly recently, and I'm a voice on that. And um, uh, tons of stuff for, for Disney. Uh, Phineas and Ferb just wrapped, but I did regular voice work for them. And I'm lucky enough to be the voice match for a few major Disney Pixar characters. So um, I do a lot of Jesse the Cowgirl for a lot of cool Toy Story-related stuff. And, um, of course, for Disney fans, one of the big deal things is that I'm a voice in the parks and specifically uh, really get a lot of excitement about the fact that I'm the voice of the bride on the Haunted Mansion. So if anybody knows that. Uh, And, in fact, uh, there was a big contest that just happened at Halloween. Radio Disney did a big contest about sort of circled around me and the bride and the fact that I'm the voice of the bride and that I was a cast member for Disneyland. And so it's a very cool sort of coming-of-age story. And the fulfillment for that, I forget the right term for it, but basically the winner of that contest, what they got was an all-expense-paid trip out to Disneyland uh, with their wow. family, staying at the Disneyland Hotel, and then the big, like, cherry on that Sunday is that they get to spend a couple of hours with me at the park uh, talking about the history of the park and the mansion, and then they get to ride a dune buggy, which is, you know, they get to ride through the Haunted Mansion with me. <laughs> oh, wow. Which makes, coming out of my mouth, that sounds very narcissistic. For them, it's very exciting. For me, it's like, isn't this adorable? I'm going to meet some guests that are very excited. So um, that's in, that's actually in a week that's going to happen. So, so at the end of the day, you're you're a busy woman. You're doing a lot of big things in the world of sports. And you're doing a lot of big things in the whole Disney world and the whole gaming community. So you are everywhere at this point pretty much, right? Not at all, but you're so sweet to say that. (laughs) And I would hardly say that I'm doing big things in sports, but you're sweet to say it. I'm very lucky to be a voice that you hear attached to the really big things that matter in sports. Okay. And and I'm very lucky to to do what I do. And... Yes, as you know from 3 a.m. emails, I, I tend to have very busy days. But that being said, I'm not yet lucky enough to be doing what you do, which is balancing a family with it. So if you know of okay. any great, eligible, cute guys who live out on <laughs> on the West Coast, somewhere between the age of 35 and 45, who are down to, uh, see, there's me being totally okay. real and authentic and saying, I don't have everything. So you should feel very good, you all who are balancing uh, day jobs and families and everything else that goes along with that. But um, entertainment is sometimes beyond a full-time job, and I just feel lucky some days to catch up and and stay on top of, of everything that's going on. And it's an honor to talk to you. And Go to at Kat Cressida on Twitter, support her there. Also, go to her yes. website, com. Support her there as well. And support all the great things going on with Kat Cressida. Kat, 
was an absolute pleasure talking to you. We wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Look forward to doing it again. Me too. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk more about sports next time so that uh, your listeners feel like they can throw in. And by the way, on Twitter, feel free feel free to throw out questions. I may not have the answer, but I'm going to get it. And uh, <laughs> if you want to know about voiceover or entertainment or Disney or video games, definitely can engage on that 100%. And uh, I'm grateful. Thank you. Kat Cressida, pleasure talking to her. Interesting story. I mean, you you hear the ins and outs of the NFL draft, you know, how she got her role with PTI, very interesting story there. So it was a pleasure talking to her. The National Basketball Association now, we have All-Star Weekend in the NBA. And always, you know, don't get me wrong, NFL, the Pro Bowl stinks. The Hockey All-Star Game stinks. The baseball all-star game, even though it means home field advantage, just stinks as well. The best is the NBA. No one does all-star games, as far as I'm concerned, like the NBA, all-star Saturday night, and then the game itself. And, and I'm not saying it's the best. I mean, I'm not saying it's great, but it's better than all the rest. And no, Like I said, no one does all-star games like the NBA. And as we go into the second half of the NBA season, you know, Obviously, the, the talk of the first half of the NBA, NBA season is the Golden State Warriors, and they're on pace to break the record held by the Chicago Bulls of 72-10. and 10. I mean, this Golden State Warriors team looks like it's the, be- it is the best team in basketball. Looks like they may get the record, possibly. And, but I wonder with this. You know, you're playing big-time basketball. You're getting it done on all types of levels. But at the same time, you know, you're going for this record, and 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 then going for this record, is it a possibility that you could, uh, I don't want to say overdo it, but peak too soon? Is it a possibility by going for this record and, and maybe playing guys who may, might be better suited sitting down and, and not playing and resting, a la the San Antonio Spurs who are resting their guys Left and right. I mean, guys are getting rested on a you know a consistent basis, and so are the Spurs better suited, being that they're not going for the record, being that you know that this is a team that is equally as formidable as the Golden State Warriors. I know when the Golden State Warriors played the Spurs, they blew them out. wasn't even close. And, and don't get me wrong, the Golden State Warriors are the best team in basketball. There's no debate. But I think San Antonio can give them a good series in the playoffs. And I think OKC, the Oklahoma City Thunder, can give them a big time and a tough series in the playoffs. So I look at those two teams and I'm saying, okay, it's going to be interesting. And what I saw last week with OKC and Golden State in that particular game, I could see seven games. I could watch a series of those two teams playing. That was back and forth, and those were two teams that were going at each other. They were going at each other, KD and, and, you know, hitting shots left and right. And, you know, those two teams were going right at each other. It was an exciting basketball game. But Golden State does what they do on a consistent basis, that execute down the stretch and make the necessary plays, and ultimately they won the game. But it's going to be fun and interesting to see, you know, first and foremost, if Golden State Warriors can get those 73 games, win those 73 games, and, and we'll see how everything is positioned for the playoffs. That should be fun in the East. You know, it's really two teams out there, Toronto and, and, and Cavaliers, Cleveland. 
You know, the Bulls are struggling mightily. Jimmy Butler's out for a period of time. You know, the Celtics are impressive. The Celtics are, are doing some things, uh, and no one, I don't think many expected the Celtics to be or had third best record in the Eastern Conference. And, and and so you look at the Celtics, and, and that's a basketball team that's, you know, playing some good time, big-time basketball, a little playing over their head, and, and Toronto's there. Toronto's definitely a team that might be able to give Cleveland some trouble in the playoffs. I don't think they can beat Cleveland, but I think they can give them some trouble. But other than that, I mean, maybe the Bulls can, you know, push the Cavaliers even if they get that far or even make the playoffs for that matter because they're, they're really struggling. They're free-falling at this point. Um, but that's about it. You know, Miami's struggling. They've been up and down. Atlanta, you know, there's talk that Atlanta might think about breaking up their core and, if you know, trying to move some of their core guys. You know, Horford is there. Corver could be on the block. Uh, T could be on the block. So it should be interesting to see what the, the Hawks can do. And, and I don't necessarily blame the Hawks because I don't think the way their team is presently constructed, they can beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I think you have to take that into account in, in terms of what you're going to do with your basketball team. But the, the East is two teams, and the West is three teams at this point. Clippers could be interesting. We'll see. They're playing decent basketball without Blake Griffin. You wonder what they will be with Blake Griffin. I don't know. And then you got the, you look at the bottom of the Western Conference, you got the Houston Rockets. And the talk of, you know, the, the, it's just a bad situation, as uh, their coach said. And I'm, uh, that's not his exact quote, but it's basically a bad situation with Houston. It's just it's just bad. And, and so it's broken. It, it's a broken team, as uh, J.B. Bickerstaff said. And then and they – you know, it's not Kevin. Obviously, it's not Kevin McHale's fault. And and this team, it's just Dwight Howard's on the possibly on the block. And I, I and I get why they could possibly trade Dwight Howard. He is going to opt out, and then opting out, there's a possibility he might not come back. So I think you're you're doing your due diligence. I think you're doing what you need to do as an organization to figure out whether or not Dwight Howard necessarily wants to be there, and figure out what you want to do. If that means you want to move Dwight Howard on and try to get some assets for Dwight Howard, I get it. Because at this point, you're not winning the championship in Houston. You're not going to beat. You can't beat the Golden State Warriors. And so, since you can't beat the Golden State Warriors, reality is you need to think about the possibilities of of breaking the team up. And that means Dwight Howard, because again, he's the, he's going to he possibly is going to opt out. He's probably going to opt out. And so you got a decision to make, and I think you should do your due diligence and see what the market is out there for Dwight Howard. I, I totally agree with it. I'm not against it if I'm the Houston Rockets. I think they most definitely have to do it. They're not poised and primed to win a championship in 2015. It's just not happening. 2015-2016 NBA season, not going to happen. So they need to figure something out and figure something out fast. The team is broken, and I agree. They're just they're they're not, and you know they they. Ty Lawson they brought in, and, and you figure with him and Beverly, what they already had, and, and you figure last year they didn't even have Patrick Beverly in the playoffs, and they had some struggles at the point guard position, and they still found a way to the Western Conference Finals and, you know, gave a Golden State a decent series. So with that being said, I mean, you figure Houston would build upon that, but they didn't. They regressed. They went the other way. And what they had, it's just not working right now, and so you've got to figure out what you need to do moving Forward, but it should be fun. All-Star game is fun. Always looking forward to the three-point shooting contest. The three-point shooting contest, 
I think it's safe to say it has kind of replaced the slam dunk contest as the marquee event of All-Star Weekend. And mainly because you're getting the guys, the big guys, the big names in that contest. And that's huge. That's huge to get those uh, those big names there. That's huge when you get those big names out there. Because people like to see big names. They love big names. They love seeing the big names. And when you see to get those big names... It excites people. When you see Steph Curry, when you see Clay Thompson, when you see James Harden, when you see uh, Kyle Lowry as an all-star, you see superstars of the game. You see superstars of the game competing, and that's huge. LeBron James competed in the dunk contest. It would be huge for the event. Michael Jordan was in those events. I mean, you had stars. And if, you know, no stars, it kind of hurts. The event is not much buzz. Before we get out of here, LaShawn McCoy, um, we all know the situation there. Had an incident in a nightclub. Uh, him and a few other guys fought some off-duty police officers, did some damage to those off-duty police officers out there in Philadelphia. And, you know, interesting comments by the Philadelphia mayor, and I, and I got problems with these comments because at the end of the day, LaShawn McCoy is innocent until proven guilty. At the end of the day, we don't even know what he hasn't been charged with anything at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, we don't even know. What actually transpired? You can't tell, I can't tell by the video whether or not what happened. Like, how did they get to the point where he's kicking a guy on the ground? How did they get there? How did they get there? So the, the mayor of Philadelphia needs to shut up. The mayor of Philadelphia needs to be quiet. Shut up. Let the, let. I mean, it's almost like when when, when Plastic Bears had this situation, he had Mayor Bloomberg talking. I mean, shut up. That's not fair. You know, you're 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 possibly uh, tampering a jury. It's not fair. You're poisoning the mind of a possible juror out there. It's not fair. It's not right. And so, Lashawn McCoy deserves his opportunity to to, uh, a due process. Deserves the opportunity of whether or not they got to figure out whether or not he's going to get charged. He he deserves this all this this time to figure out what they're going to do. He deserves that. That's his right. So the mayor of Philadelphia said this, Jim Kenney, quote, in addition to punches being thrown, there were some kicks that looked as if they were being leveled, and that, and that's unconscionable, and it's cowardly. If McCoy wants to stop our officers and pound our officers, then he needs to pay the price and answer for his actions. Uh, first and foremost, how will LaShawn McCoy know whether or not those guys are police officers? Nobody didn't show his badge. And so, at the end of the day, I know they're a police officer, but they, at the end of the day, they're in a club. And at the end of the day, in that club, no one knows if you're a police officer or not, whether unless you're carrying around your badge. So who's going to know? So the point I'm trying to make is this. Let this play out. It doesn't look good for LaShawn McCoy, but let it play out. And then once this whole thing plays out, we'll move forward from there. Wise man once said nothing good happens after midnight, and he's probably right. But wise man also said you're innocent before proven guilty. Wise man also said you have an opportunity to a fair trial. And and I'm kind of, you know, moving a little fast with that because at the end of the day, he has not been charged. It may come. Probably it's coming. But at the end of the day, right now, he has not been charged. So we'll see how that story plays out. But Shady, you got to do better, man. 
you got to do better. I want to thank Hall of Famer Willie Rowe for stopping by. Also want to thank Will Castro for stopping by. And also Kat Cressida for stopping by. You can listen to this show. Other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pgant, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItCamp. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care.